Good morning to you all and welcome to this week's Keeping an Eye on the Geopolitical Ball with me, Jamie Shea, Senior Fellow at Friends of uh, Europe. Well, uh, somebody who used to love reading 19th century uh, as a student, uh, I was always impressed by a book by A.J.P. Taylor called The Troublemakers. Uh, what Taylor was talking about was uh, a, a number of uh, in European politicians in the late 19th century who didn't want to overthrow the European order. They they weren't revolutionaries like Lenin and the Bolsheviks, but they weren't happy uh, with what Kaiser Wilhelm of Germany would have called his place in the sun. They, they wanted to make adjustments. They wanted to assert their naked uh, national interests. And they weren't worried about holding up the system, uh, freezing decision-making until they got their way. Um, now, I suppose in more colloquial, modern English, we would call this the awkward squad. And every family, of course, has its black sheep. And anybody who studied international organizations will know that there's always an outlier somewhere in the system uh, who uh, basically uh, can disrupt proceedings. Think of the General de Gaulle in NATO from uh, the 1960s uh, onwards, taking France out of NATO's military uh, command structure. Think of Mrs. Thatcher, uh, the old former British Prime Minister, waving her handbag at, at EU budget meetings and demanding, I want my money back, and so on and so forth. But at a time when organizations like NATO and the European Union uh, really are, have their backs to the wall, facing the onslaught of uh, uh, the authoritarian states uh, uh, launching uh, aggression like Putin uh, in uh, Ukraine uh, or uh, trying to uh, limit uh, the foreign policy influence of the West on the on the wider uh, scene, uh, or busting international sanctions, uh, for example, it's more serious uh, when uh, NATO and the EU uh, have their black sheep uh, who hold up decisions, and disrupt proceedings. The modern day version of the awkward squad, a squad, uh, and there are three countries in particular which are often talked about in, in this connection: Turkey, uh, Hungary, and and now possibly uh, a third. Uh, Slovakia. Uh, Turkey, of course, has, has long been uh, in this particular uh, uh, category. Uh, it's maintained uh, strong relations with Russia and has received a lot of Russian economic and energy investment, particularly in developing Turkey's nuclear uh, industry. Uh, Turkey has refused to impose sanctions for the war uh, on Ukraine uh, against uh, uh, Russia. It's been buying up Russian military equipment, notably the S-400 uh, air defense system and other uh, technologies. Um, it's also held up uh, for a year uh, Sweden's membership of NATO at a particularly difficult time. Uh, in terms of NATO returning to collective defence. Although, to be fair to the Turks, finally yesterday, good news for NATO, the Turkish Grand National Assembly finally did go ahead uh, with the ratification, leaving only Hungary now as the outlier that still has to complete that particular uh, process. But in, in holding up Sweden's ratification, President Erdogan asked for all kinds of concessions. Some had to do with Sweden, uh, like, for example, getting the Swedes to lift their arms export embargo against Turkey or to change their laws uh, on terrorism, uh, to uh, outlaw the PKK, pro-Kurdish uh, party. But a lot of Erdogan's demands had nothing to do with Sweden whatsoever, uh, like concessions from the Americans on F-16 aircraft sales and spare parts, like uh, getting 
Canada uh, to uh, lift restrictions on the export of drone technology to Turkey or similar with the uh, Netherlands uh, as well, or even insisting that the EU speed up membership negotiations with Turkey uh, overall. Um, Turkey also has in the past imprisoned American pastors, German journalists, as well as many Turkish journalists as well. And the European Commission did not give Turkey a particularly favorable write-up in its recent uh, enlargement uh, uh, report when they came to Turkey uh, moving ahead to meet the conditions, particularly in the field of human rights, uh, for eventual Turkish membership of, of the European uh, uh, Union. In other words, uh, Turkey has given every sign of taking a rather transactional approach to its membership of international organizations. Uh, what can we get out of them uh, being uh, first and foremost the uh, issue? Also, Hungary, uh, which is often called uh, by many uh, here in Brussels an illiberal uh, democracy, in the 13 years that uh, Viktor Orban has been in power, he's gone from being a young uh, liberal and anti uh, communist. Uh, 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 campaigner uh, to uh, being very much an authoritarian uh, in the style of the system that he once so fervently uh, condemned, uh, monopolizing the media, uh, increasingly in the hands of the government, for, uh, for example, uh, making elections uh, very polarized affairs in, indeed, and of course also drawing closer to Russia uh, and China. Uh, holding up packages of EU sanctions for months at a time. And more recently, uh, Orban has not only held up Sweden's membership of NATO, Hungary is the last country, as I said, uh, to complete this process of uh, ratification, even though Orban said for ages that Hungary would not be uh, the last uh, uh, country, but it has recently been holding up 50 billion uh, euros, which the EU wants to give to Ukraine, and which is at the present time, uh, with Ukraine under a lot of military pressure from Russia, absolutely vital uh, for Ukraine's uh, ability to withstand Russia, to uh, uh, manage its economy, its administration, uh, and so on. Although, again, Orban has made recently made a couple of olive branch gestures to Brussels by suggesting that uh, Hungary would allow this money to be transferred, subject to a stringent auditing and uh, annual uh, reviews. Uh, now, Orban just yesterday said that uh, um, he would invite the Swedish Prime Minister, Ulf Christensen, uh, to go to Budapest for a final discussion, a negotiation uh, on uh, Sweden's membership of NATO. The Swedes, I think, quite naturally have rejected this, saying there's nothing to negotiate. Uh, we've been accepted as members of NATO. Hungary has voted for that in the past. Hungary has agreed that we be have the status of an invited member uh, at the NATO uh, Council table. Um, and what is there to uh, negotiate uh, as well? Uh, and then we have uh, Slovakia, where uh, the leader of the populist smear party, Robert Fizo, uh, was uh, returned to power for the third time in, in October, uh, saying immediately that he would cancel Slovakia's uh, military assistance to Ukraine, although it's okay for Slovak companies to do business with Ukraine if it is for uh, economic uh, profit. 
Um, and he's also uh, condemned a military aid to Ukraine as only prolonging the war. He wants peace uh, immediately. And, and, and yesterday he announced that uh, uh, he would not travel to Kiev uh, and would prefer to uh, meet uh, his Ukrainian counterpart on the Hungarian-Ukrainian border instead, saying that in his view, Kiev was a perfectly normal city uh, where nothing particularly was happening. Although for my part, I've noted 600 and 900, excuse me, 67 air alerts uh, over the past uh, uh, year. Uh, and uh, yeah, just yesterday, Russian missiles once again were launched against uh, Kiev. So when we're dealing with these three countries that, that clearly are holding up the business, are refusing to uh, uh, impose uh, or uh, sanctions, are not holding up the uh, the rule of law or other democratic principles on which NATO uh, and the uh, EU are based, how do we deal with them? Well, it's not easy, of course, because whereas it's difficult to join these organizations, there's no provision for them to be uh, asked to leave or even to have their membership suspended, um, unlike, for example, in the United Nations. Um, so they have to be accommodated in some shape or form. But I think there are five principles moving forward that need to be borne in mind. Number one is don't buy your way out of trouble. I personally think it was not really correct for the EU to grant 10 billion euros to Hungary, even though it had not met the, the democratic standards as a kind of an inducement to try to persuade Orban to go ahead with the decisions on Ukraine. This kind of concession uh, for little in return doesn't solve the problem. It only encourages uh, uh, these outliers to demand more or to think that their transactional approach, uh, putting pressure, is going to work. Uh, the second uh, principle is don't compromise. Uh, on values. And where there are mechanisms, for example, in the EU to impose sanctions like on Poland or Hungary or others uh, for backtracking from the uh, rule of law or democratic standards, it's important for the credibility of these organizations to go ahead and uh, impose uh, those sanctions so that non-cooperation does have a price at the end of the day and the countries that use it cannot be the economic beneficiaries. Uh, the third principle is find workarounds. If it's clear that Hungary is going to block uh, progress in the uh, EU, hold up decisions, for example, on the 12th package of uh, sanctions against Ukraine, the EU in advance, EU governments have got to think about, well, how can we work our way around this? For example, one idea was that if the Hungarians would not allow the EU to use its European peace facility to buy weapons for Ukraine, then individual countries uh, could use this money on a national basis, not through the EU to supply those weapons. This may be one idea, but but find creative ways to get around the problem so that uh, the EU is still capable of, of action. A third, a uh, fourth idea is institutional reform, that as the EU goes forward uh, uh, with uh, admitting Ukraine, Moldova, uh, states in the Balkans, and EU reform is on the table, that reform has to have a much higher element of qualified majority voting, uh, particularly on foreign policy issues uh, like EU uh, common security defense op operations, uh, which, uh, of course, uh, are very timely and very, very urgent indeed. So more majority voting uh, and uh, backtracking from the previously uh, universal uh, unanimity uh, rule as, 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 as well. But at the end of the day, we also have to be pragmatic and uh, distinguish between uh, those disruptors who uh, have great geopolitical importance for the West, like Turkey, uh, and that we need to cooperate with and work with, particularly when it comes to Russia, the Middle East, 
or who can act as bridge builders and diplomatic bridge builders like Erdogan has done in negotiating uh, two years ago the Ukrainian-Russian rain deal. And those disruptors without geopolitical influence as, as, as well. Um, so there's no easy answer to the disruptors. But on the other hand, there's no reason either why they should be uh, permitted and allowed uh, to disrupt business of the democracies at a time when it's more urgent than ever that those democracies are fully functional. Thank you for watching, listening today. Look forward to our next encounter on keeping an eye on the geopolitical war.